listening to another episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. And this week we're talking Raya and the Last Dragon, as well as coming to America and bringing you all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love talking movies. We do. And this week we are discussing Raya and the Last Dragon and Coming to America. But Lee, I think we'll kick things off with Raya. What do you think? I think we should, that's for sure. Raya and the Last Dragon is set in the fictional world of Kamundra, where humans and dragons once lived together in peace and harmony until an evil force threatened the land and the dragons sacrificed themselves to save humanity. Those wonderful dragons. 500 years later, the evil returns and it's up to warrior Raya to track down the fabled last dragon to restore the fractured lands of Kamundra and unite its divided people. Raya and the Last Dragon is directed by Don Hall and Carlos Lopez Estrada, lead a team of co-directors and co-writers. The voice cast includes Kelly Marie Tran, Aquafina, Daniel Day Kim, Sandra Oh and Gemma Chan. It takes quite a village to put a Disney movie together, doesn't it? It absolutely does. It astonishes me the volume of people that have to work in realising these incredible stories in this animation. It's a sight to behold. Before we jump into the main movie, can we talk for a second about the Pixar short, Us Again? Please. Oh my God. I was not expecting to be so moved and by this story. It was so fun. I cried. Before the movie had even started, I was crying. It broke me. Damn you, Disney. Do you want to give us a rundown about what Us Again is basically about? Sure. So it's about this couple and they're older. We assume Mm. they're in their 60s or 70s. And what we find out is that they had a very vivacious, fun lifestyle Mm. where they loved to dance in the streets and all these sorts of things. But the the husband, he's a bit of a grump now and he doesn't want to leave the Mm. apartment. And he feels like he just, you know, he just wants to stay put and he's he's forgotten how great life can be and the joy that he experienced through dance with his partner. Mm. I think he's a little bit depressed yeah. because maybe he can't be the person he was in his youth anymore and I think a lot of people can relate to that as you go through different stages of life you change and yeah can't do the kind of things you could do when you were younger. I think that's what makes it so emotional. And there's no dialogue in this Pixar short either. It's all interpretive dance, which is just so creative and amazing. Incredibly creative. I think that the combination of music and animation here was utterly groundbreaking. Mm. It would have been a mean feat to actually execute something like that, Mm. but they just absolutely nailed it. It was stunning. But how do they always pack so much emotion into a short 10 minutes or however long these shorts are. It just baffles me, but every time it gets me. It gets gets you in the feels. I have so much respect for these short films that Disney usually run before their feature lengths, especially Pixar are very well known for mm. doing that. But what followed was him coming out of this depressive state, right, mm. and just finding joy in life again with his partner and you just need that little bit of magic mm. and encouragement and you can realise how life can be. Yeah. Uh, and oh. you can just be happy again with those that you love and the things that you love to do. It's so beautiful. So well said, Tim. Okay, before I need the tissues again, let's move on to <laughs> Raya and the Last Dragon. We mentioned the story before. There's a lot of themes of trust and unity in this story. How successful do you think they were? It really went about setting 
the way of the world, right? This whole film, this mm. whole premise, and about reconnecting and unifying communities for peace. And the message they were trying to portray was honest and true. And I do think it was very effective. And in a protagonist like Raya, mm. a great like catalyst for that, pushing that message of unity and, and uniting people was uh, was a really beautiful story to follow. She's a typical hero though, isn't she? Mm. A bit obnoxious, a bit righteous, manages to call all the problems <laughs> herself. <laughs> she does, but she carries that burden with her. Yes. Because she did make a mistake, but it was all to do with trust. And trust is a really big theme in this film and how trust can sometimes get you and others around you in trouble, but then ultimately how powerful trust can be to bail you out and to unite people as well. I liked that it talked about these kind of really heavy topics without being too dripping in sentiment. Mm. And I think that's the power of animation. They can really go down those avenues of really strong themes that are ultimately targeted at children but very approachable Mm. uh, to adults. I think this is a really great family film where a lot of adults and kids would get a lot out of it. But I think, yeah, that's the beauty of animation. They somehow manage to balance those strong themes but have fun while doing it and not be too righteous about ramming it down your throat, if you know what I mean. Yeah, one thing that I really enjoyed as well is that there's elements of a fantasy or dystopian films throughout the style and the story. Did you notice that? References from Star Wars, whenever they got to a different land, they'd label the land they were in on the, on the screen and that felt very Star Wars to me and there's also a bit of a Mad Max feel to it. Oh, yeah, I hadn't actually thought of that but when mm. you mention it, it really does have that feel and it was quite episodic in that yes. the story was really structured in that it was like, okay, now we're in this land and mm. this place. For me, when the story was exploring all these worlds – Uh, One at a time, it kept the story moving fresh and exciting throughout Mm. because, you know, you heard about all these different lands, what they were known for, and you kind of meet those people at the beginning, but you get this great injection of new story character design Mm. uh, when you go to all these new lands throughout the life of the film, which I really looked forward to every time we went there. There was even a bit of a Lord of the Rings reference as well because you get this band of misfits that she ends up ultimately travelling with. Yeah, a little motley crew of weirdos, all with different skill sets and and stories themselves. It it was a really fun band Mm. of creatures and characters to save the day. One thing that we tore apart before we saw this film when we were talking about the trailers was that they revealed the dragon really early. They told you the dragon. Having seen the film, I actually want to retract my statements about that. I can see why they revealed the dragon because Mm. the journey is not about the dragon ultimately. Yeah, and it definitely made more sense in the moment when you were watching the film that Sisu, the last dragon, had to be part of the story Mm. from almost its inception. I do have a bit of a bugbear with that though. Please do tell. So there's obviously that opening scenes and then there's a moment, guys, where it's six years later after the opening scenes. I felt that jump was a little bit awkward and and jarring. And the Mm. reason is Raya found Sisu, I thought, far too easily And there was Mm. context to that I either missed, I'm not sure, hopefully you can enlighten me, or we just weren't told in the story and how she brought her back. It seemed to suffer from inconsistencies in the stories and things that didn't quite stack up there. And I was kind of a little bit alienated by that. I I hear what you're saying. I did find that some of the quest was jumping quite quickly and happening a little bit too easily. But we've got to remember this is a family film. Yes. 
you know, it can't be too laborious. So mm. I do hear what you're saying, but I can forgive it. Yeah, totally. I, I quite liked its structure, but I think that it was a little bit jumpy, like you said. And I think that as a result of that, I found that I struggled to understand a lot of the history and what happened to the dragons and also what had actually happened over the last six years because mm. uh, we just jumped straight into it. Yeah, they thrust you right back in. And I just feel like as an audience, well, me personally, I hadn't fully understood the world enough to kind of just be thrown right Mm. in there. But there was a lot to learn and take in over the course of the film anyway. So it kind of got more and more. Now, this is a fantasy, but it's also built on tradition. It takes inspiration from Southeast Asian cultures, like martial arts sequences. The soup that they eat reflects different flavours like sweet, sour and spicy, coexisting harmoniously. And that reflects Benj's vision for Kumandra bringing the lands together. The garments are draping rather than heavily pattern based. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the representation? I thought it was beautiful and I thought it was so important and I'm glad it was there because it added those really authentic layers to the story and, and the world building as well. Mm. I can see there was a lot of work and care that went into drawing from cultures and traditions respectfully. I think mm. they've done a great job of that. There's been some criticism out there that it stitches together different cultures under one umbrella, which can be offensive and I can understand why that would be offensive. But this is a fantasy film and some of the biggest fantasies draw from everywhere to create rich new worlds. I don't think it's lumping everyone under the same banner, but importantly, I am not of Southeast Asian descent and Mm -hmm. I think it's really important that people seek out reviews from people who are of Southeast Asian descent to get the understanding and the deeper levels of this film. Yeah, I couldn't have said that better myself. That is really important because there's certain lens that we come into these reviews mm. is different to someone of a culture that is being represented on screen. Mm. So those voices are really important to hear because we can't represent them. We can only channel as much as we can. Speaking of the Asian culture and traditions, you mentioned the martial arts sequences in this yes. film. My goodness me. It was just stunning. Mm. Absolutely stunning. The fight scenes were incredible. I was especially wowed by the final sword fight scene. It was incredibly atmospheric yep. and really, really intense. And I was like, I almost had this moment. I was clenching my fist, I think, while I was watching it because I was like, fuck, <laughs> this is good. Like, like you had a sword in your hand I, too. Oh, yeah, actually, maybe <laughs> subconsciously that's what I was doing. Damn, that was a pretty cool sword that she's got though. That was wicked. Yeah. Super wicked. I want one. Yeah, for sure. Also really importantly, Lee, is that this is Disney's first Southeast Asian princess. Which is very cool. Which is really cool. And obviously we've discussed about the culture and the importance of that. And from my perspective, this is so good. Long overdue and all those things, but it's important to showcase stories like this for young girls and boys, right, as they will see themselves in these films. Mm-hmm. Finally, right? Mm-hmm. And in a really fun, vivacious fantasy sort of setting, which is very approachable for children. And I think that that is really crucial in the development of a young person as they find their own identity and get help and assistance in understanding that identity through media. Mm. And film is such a powerful medium to to do that. Let's talk about the voice cast for a second because mm. we've got Aquafina, yeah. Kelly Marie Tran, who's making quite a name for herself as a voice actor. Yes. But Aquafina got her voice. I love it. It's such a distinct voice, yeah. isn't it? It's unmistakable. And I don't know if this is a cop-out statement, but Aquafina was just Aquafina in this movie, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. But what a great platform for her to be herself, but in animation 
as a drag and this fantastical, which I just love actors who take risks like this to be a voice artist mm. because you can just tell their commitment and how much fun they have in yep. the work that they portray. And you can see how their talents influence the artists yep. who are designing their characters. It's unreal. And she's so funny, of course. Hilarious. It also brings that emotional layer into it as well. Yeah. I was a lot more connected to Sisu than I expected. Mm. She was an incredibly wise yeah. dragon and had fun imparting her wisdom along the way. She's no silly sidekick, that's for sure. No, no, exactly. And she was out there to prove that as well, Mm -hmm. um, which was a powerful story arc of hers. Oh, yeah, definitely. Let's talk about the music because we talked about this a lot Mm. when we were talking about the trailers. Loved it and it did not disappoint in the movie. Yeah, boom. I think what you run the risk of with a really sharp trailer like Raya and the Last Dragon had a couple Mm. of months ago, you think, can the film live up to that powerful trailer? Mm. And the music was such a massive character of that trailer and my gosh, in the film, above and beyond. It was just an extraordinary element to this film. It was just rock and roll. It had me out of my seat wanting to just go on an adventure with Raya. <laughs> yeah, clutching on a sword. Yeah. <gasps> Talking about going on adventures, Tuk Tuk was her kind of like <sighs> carriage on an adventure. How fun was Tuk Tuk? Speaking of Tuk Tuk, he actually was voiced by Alan Tudyk. It's crazy that they've like cast someone just to make really cute fun sounds for people who don't know who alan is he's a pirate in dodgeball he's also very famous from firefly it's like a similar casting to vin diesel being groot in (laughs) in the mcu all he says is i am groot in various inclinations uh insane insane it's fun piece of casting for sure but i really love the magical creatures of each Mm. land that were very unique to each different land and one that was my absolute favorite was a toot boom (laughs) <laughs> which was the bugs. Yes. Oh, my God. Why did I have to pause to remember <laughs> that? That was such a thrill. A toot boom is exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. It farts and then explodes. <laughs> <laughs> but in like glitter rainbow colours, <laughs> no less. So fun. Yeah, really fun. This is kind of like what the Croods have done really well as well with mm. their character design in animation, which is why the, the possibilities are endless in animation. And Raya went to really extraordinary lengths to give a lot of colour and shape to, the, to their worlds. Mm. Uh, the animation was flawless in general. Oh, amazing. Do you know there was more than 900 Disney animation employees who collaborated remotely to bring this film into existence? That's outstanding. That is outstanding. That is extraordinary. And over the period of COVID where face-to-face collaboration just had to be um, adjusted and it's pretty extraordinary that they pulled this together Mm. in such a context. I was just enthralled by the way the clothing was billowing, like Mm. the attention to detail in this film And the tiny hairs on people's arms. Did you notice that? Yeah. And I always have this like thing for animated water Mm. and how that interacts with clothes and hair. And I was just obsessed with how they animated water and how it interacted with other things in this movie because it was just stunning. Yeah. Yeah. The attention to detail. Unreal. Well, I think we've covered off everything about Raya and the Last Dragon. Should we rate it, Tim? Yeah, let's go for it, Lee. Well, I might go first if that's all right. Granted. (laughs) So, Raya and the Last Dragon is a visually astounding animation with a clear story the little ones can follow and an emotional depth that adults will get a lot out of. Sometimes I felt it was laboured on its theme a little bit and maybe the quest was too easy as we discussed, Mm. but it's a true family film and another winner from Disney. I'm going to give it four and a half popcorn kernels and that half is for us again, which had me (laughs) in pieces. Oh, 
Beautiful wrap-up, Lee. I'll just keep mine short and sharp because I think we've extensively covered this film and we both thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm. I agree this film was an extraordinary family adventure. It was so colourful, vivacious, and it had a lot of layers to it of great interest in how it wove in culture and character. And I was just obsessed with Tuk Tuk, obsessed mm-hmm. with Con Baby and the Monkeys. And Con Baby, we yeah. didn't talk about Con Baby. How oh. could we miss Con Baby? So I thought I'd throw Baba Con in the end. And you know what? They're, they're characters that Disney just do lovable characters so beautifully and it just stays with you long mm. after and you're constantly thinking about them and giggling uh, to yourself. I thought the animation was stunning and the music just carried this film mm. to new heights. So I'm going to rate Raya and the Last Dragon three and a half popcorn kernels. There you have it. Raya and the Last Dragon is in Australian cinemas now and also available to rent with premiere access on Disney+. Plus. All right, Lee, we are going to jump into our review of Coming to America with the number two as a sequel to the 1988 Coming to America. <laughs> Fuck, so confusing. <laughs> oh, dear. So Coming to America follows African monarch Akeem as he learns he has a son he didn't know about in the United States. So he must go back to America to meet this unexpected heir and build a relationship with the boy. Back to Queens, New York. Mm-hmm. So Coming to America is directed by Craig Brewer. Screenplay by Barry Blaustein and David Sheffield, who were the original Coming to America writers, with assistance from Kenya Barris. The movie, of course, brings together Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, Shari Headley, James L. Jones, and with the addition of Leslie Jones and Wesley Snipes and mm. a whole host of other cameos. Oh, my God, so many cameos in this film. Too. Yeah, it got a little bit out of hand from my perspective. We're not going to spoil them because <laughs> it's quite cool. Some of them are quite cool. Some are cool, yeah, I agree. But a lot of it was just because we can. Just because we can and then nothing else to do. <laughs> Straight off the bat, I'm going to say I'm not a huge fan of the original movie, but Mm -hmm. I have seen it a number of times and enjoyed it for the period in time that it came from, okay? It's problematic comedy for sure. Yes. (laughs) But it was funny. And this film disappointed me so much because it was just a flimsy premise full of convenient things happening Mm -hmm. and it wasn't funny. I have been waiting for you (laughs) to berate a film on this podcast like I feel like you are today. It doesn't happen often, okay? Because, look, I can always find good things. And there are some good things about this film. Mm. Like, we're not going to tear it to shreds completely. But I don't even know where to start, Tim. (laughs) Okay. Let me jump in. Look, just to be really honest and open and transparent here on Popcorn Podcast, Mm. I had never seen the original, like the 1988 Coming to America. You're a baby. Because I'm a baby. But last week in preparation for the sequel coming out I did sit down Mm -hmm. and watch it and I can understand the charm and the notoriety and why it was like in 1988 why it would have been so successful the height of Eddie Murphy's career you know there's a few there's a lot of context behind the success of coming to America it's a cult classic it's a cult classic yes problematic comedy absolutely (laughs) um weird and wonderful in so many ways but here we are with the sequel 33 years on and to be honestly like I was initially super impressed at how they managed to get every single original cast member back to reprise their roles. Almost. Almost. Mm -hmm. And that's no mean feat, right? And that is like key 
when attempting to resurface an old story and continue its narrative. Like if you have recasting in there, it Mm. gets a bit muddled. And I think that the first 30 to 40 minutes, it kind of punked me in a way, I suppose. I think fans of the first film will be satisfied to a certain extent in how it tried to continue the story initially, like at the beginning. Mm. It is somewhat successful in bringing us back into the world of Akeem, played by Eddie Murphy, and sets up a premise with, I thought, a lot of promise. But then what starts to happen is a film that moves from one fan service moment to the next and it really loses its way hard and fast, I tell you. Yeah, but see, even the fan service, I don't think there was enough of it there. There were a couple of nods to the original. Mm. Definitely there was some nostalgia. Yes. They pack the 90s and late 80s nostalgia in as much as they can shoehorn into this film. And there's parallels to the first movie, which mm. are, are fun to watch. Sure. It gives you a little bit of a... <laughs> moment and it makes fun of itself but as you said there was a seed there was a concept there that was really promising yes. to begin with and they just didn't take it anywhere and that's that a prince akeem has three daughters mm-hmm. okay and for his you know progressive attitude in the first film what we're seeing in the second film is that he's gone back to Dismunda and settled into royal life and sort of left his ideals behind and become too much of a royal again yeah and i found that really confusing Like, we were meant to Mm. believe coming out of the first film that he was going to be this progressive monarch. Right. But he's just like his father. And what followed was an utterly unconvincing character arc for him in changing his ways and beliefs. You know, all all Eddie gave in this film was like a raised eyebrow and a side glance look and that's it. He just wasn't in it at all. His character made no sense. Yeah, I was confused as to what the focus of the story was supposed to be because it started mm. off with one focus, which I was really keen to see flesh out, yeah. moved to something else and just became a rehash of the first film through his son, basically. Which is lazy storytelling. And with the mm. original screenwriters of the first one, like how did they get this so wrong in terms of continuing the story and doing it justice? Like They, they, they were responsible for their <laughs> own responsibility and they yeah. fucked it up. <laughs> it's like, you know, some of the original's humour is outdated, understandably. Mm. So it's like they dropped that but then didn't know how to bring the humour into the 21st century along with the story and they Mm. tried but it's like they just couldn't do it. They were confused how to do it. It didn't happen. Yeah. You said before, like, this movie is so unfunny. Like, astonishingly so. Even the outtakes at the end in the credits were shit and I'm like, how could you even get outtakes to be so unfunny and boring. It was just astonishing. It's just a shame. It's yeah, a it real, is a shame. real shame. But mm. can we talk about the good aspects of the film? Okay. Believe it or not, there are some. There are, there are, you're right. The extravagant costuming, absolutely yes. amazing. Loved it. And mm. the performance pieces. Yeah. One of the big shocks when I watched the 1988, I wasn't expecting it to be such a costume set piece spectacle. Mm. And what this sequel has achieved is to kind of like really meet those standards. It was extraordinary. Mm. Another thing I really enjoyed and I was disappointed that I didn't get more of it was the performance of Princess Mika, who is played by Kiki Lane. So Mm -hmm. King Akeem and Queen Lisa's firstborn daughter who wants to be the ruler of Zamunda, but because of tradition, she's a woman and it has to go to the firstborn son. Boring. But that was really promising and she was fantastic. And I really wanted to see more of her. Yeah. And then she kind of just fell off the face of the earth Mm. for a big chunk of the film, came back only to project a male voice 
and character. And suddenly wanted to help him, even though she hated him or resented him. Suddenly she was like, I'll help mm. you tame this lion. Just let him get eaten by it. it then you've got no problem. I know. It was just <laughs> ridiculous. But no, she, she was fantastic in it. Showed a lot of skills and promise uh, as a character and an actress. And then they just totally underutilized her and the power that that story could have had for the film. And I also like that Sherry Headley was in it more. Although she didn't have a lot to do either. But She didn't have a lot to do either, which kind of sucked. But there was, you know, one particularly funny moment uh, that I thought she was quite convincing in, mm-hmm. uh, which was good, an argument she had. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> I just continuously found this film to be increasingly more annoying as it went on. Mm. And Leslie Jones was irritating and that's such a shame because i really enjoy leslie jones yeah and the son akeem's son was a terrible actor and who choked on every cliche line of dialogue that he was given it was just terrible terrible dialogue and tracy morgan let me just say he continues to cement himself to me as one of the most overrated unfunny actors around i cannot stand him i actually found him more enjoyable in this film than i do in a lot of other things really gosh are you thinking of his 30 rock character because that is insufferable but he's actually not that bad literally every scene or moment that his character was in could have been cut like it didn't add to anything and it was just unfunny and annoying look true the character didn't have a purpose definitely no purpose whatsoever So do you have a rating for this? What we got was a stunning film in terms of visually, the costumes and the Mm. sets. But honestly, Lee, that's all it had going for it. It was unfunny. There was no point to it. The story was incredibly cliched, boring and predictable. And it just made all the wrong choices. I'm going to rate Coming to America one and a half popcorn kernels. I'm going to agree with you. It felt like a half-hearted attempt to modernise an outdated concept and in the process stomped all over the legacy of the original with the strength of Baba's big hoofs. The costumes were incredible, the cameos were fun and I liked the seed of the basic concept that was never given the attention it deserved. But I didn't laugh and that is... In my opinion, unforgivable. I'm giving it one and a half kernels too. Pretty big problem in a comedy when you don't laugh, hey? (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit of a problem. Bit of a problem. Coming to America is now streaming on Amazon Prime. All right, let's move on to news. But before we start, we want to say congratulations to the winners of our Girls Can't Surf ticket giveaway. We have announced the winners on social media, so please get in touch with your best address if you haven't already, and we'll have your movie tickets winging their way to you ASAP. Girls Can't Surf is an inspiring documentary that tells the story of a trailblazing group of women surfers in the 80s and the 90s who fought for inclusion, recognition and equality and changed pro surfing forever. The movie is in cinemas from March 11th, and we'll have a review for you in the next week's episode of Popcorn Podcast. We cannot wait to talk about this fantastic film. And we have more ticket giveaways coming for you very soon, so make sure you subscribe and like so you don't miss it. Get amongst it, guys. Now, recently we got the first trailer for Disney and Pixar's upcoming animation, Luca. The film is about two little sea monsters enjoying the best summer of their lives as they play and explore between land and water while trying not to get caught by the people of the fishing village, which is Luca in Italy. Yeah. Luca is coming to cinemas in June 2021. How fun was this trailer? It looked stunning. It looked fun. It looked cheeky and I cannot wait to meet these Mm. characters and follow their adventure. I think this is going to be, of course, another Pixar win. 
A feature film prequel to award-winning series The Sopranos is coming. It's titled The Many Saints of Newark. It focuses on rival gangsters rising up during the explosive Newark race riots of 1967. Expected in September this year at this stage. That's really interesting. I can't wait to mm. see this. A period piece, like a prequel. Yeah, I love it. I love the concept. I'm keen on it. Universal has set a 2022 release date for Billy Eichner's Bros movie, which is billed as the first romantic comedy from a major studio about two gay men, maybe, possibly, probably stumbling towards love. Maybe. They're both very busy. <laughs> I love that. How good. If that doesn't help set the, the tone and positioning of this film, I don't know what does. It sounds fun. Now, Billy Eichner is a comedian best known for his Billy on the Street sketch series. I've actually never watched that. Have you not? He just no. accosts people in the street and gives them a dollar if they answer like a question or, you know, do you know who Kate Blanchett is or who's better, Jennifer Aniston? And and he usually has the person with him and people have no idea. Oh, I love that. It's hilarious. Like guerrilla street comedy yeah. or something. But like he'll take Jennifer Lawrence and, and he'll be like, who's better, Jennifer Aniston or Jennifer Lawrence? And then they'll be like, who even is this person? <laughs> oh, that's gold. That's I have to look him up. Now, speaking of Universal, Lee, the studio has set Minions, The Rise of Gru for release in 2022 now. Mm. And there has been some movement on the Australian release schedule as well with M. Night Shyamalan's Old dropping into July this year, 2021. Uh, Looking forward to that one indeed. Fast and Furious 9, or simply titled F9, has been pushed from May to June this year. And Jordan Peele's Candyman is coming in late August. Now, I don't know if I just had a, a brain break or something, mm. but I thought Candyman got released before the pandemic. Like, I thought it happened. I thought we got it. I thought did we did too. <laughs> not get it? I thought it came out. We just missed it. We never saw it. Yeah. Oh, there we go. It's coming out in August, guys. <laughs> Sit <laughs> Great. Good, good to know. Well, that's it for another jam-packed episode of Popcorn Podcast, guys. We reviewed Raya and the Last Dragon, which is showing in cinemas now and available on Disney Plus with premiere access. As well as coming to America, we shared our pointed thoughts on that (laughs) Amazon Prime original, which you can catch on their streaming service now as well. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll catch you next time. Come and join us in the conversation on Facebook. Like our page at Popcorn Podcast AU and follow us on Instagram at Popcorn Podcast. We'd love to hear what you think about these movies.